three higher ed authors, 100 plus college and university presidents, dozens of actionable insights for academic leaders. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education is now available on Amazon. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe, see that? I can't even say my own darn name. I've done it so many times. I'm Joe. Forget the doctor part. Just call me Joe. <sighs> Take a breath. This is what podcasting is all about, ladies and gentlemen. And you know, as well as I do, we leave all mistakes in here at the Ed Up Experience. This is as raw as it gets. Not only do we leave in mistakes in, we leave in mistakes when we can't say our own names. Watch, I'll get my other, my guest and my guest co-host, I'll get their names right, but I can't get my own name right. That's just the way it goes some days. Anyway, uh, one thing I would like to get right is a thank you to those of you that have bought and picked up Commencement, the Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education, a book I wrote with my co-author, Kate Colbert, with contributions by the Edup Experience co-founder, Elvin Freitas, where we took our first 125 college and university presidents and put in all their insights into a book. And there are just too many to talk about, but that's why you need the book because you can open it up randomly and end up on a quote from somebody who said something amazing. That's why we do this podcast. Now I've got a guest co-host and a guest who are both going to say amazing things, but I'm gonna first introduce my guest co-host. And there, I've said this before in the podcast, there's just certain people and this, this guest co-host is one where I can't seem to make the episodes where they're on. Sometimes it's a guest and I reschedule with that guest and I reschedule with that guest. They have something come up. I have something come up and seven, eight, nine, tens go by before we, we link up. In this particular case, it's been all me. I've had a couple of cancellations and when I've had to cancel, this person was the guest co-host every time and he thought I was doing it to him personally, but I'm not. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. He is Bob Brown, and he is the president and CEO of the University of West Los Angeles, and he's back. Bob, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Joe. Thank you. I told Appreciate you it wasn't personal. I know it wasn't personal, my friend. I'm good. You know I love you. You know, I love <laughs> you, man, and I want I'm you good. back as many times as you want to come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to have a great interview today, and there's a personal connection. We'll talk about what that is between you and our guest. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Let's make sure I get his name right, at least. If I can't get my guest's name right, what the heck am I doing? Ladies and gentlemen, he's Kevin Grubb. He's the Associate Vice Provost for Career and Professional Development at Villanova University. Did I get it? You got it. Oh, thank you. A plus. All right, Kevin, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful sunny day in Pennsylvania right now. It's a little chilly, but it's it's so nice. I can't complain. It's the brisk air, the brisk, fresh air. Love it. Um, Kevin, we, we'd like to always start um, uh, to discuss what you do, how you do it. I think anybody who's listening that knows higher education has probably heard of Villanova, um, uh, you know, Big East, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm a basketball fan, Syracuse actually, but you know we won't we won't go there. Mm. Um, talk about what you do as the associate vice provost, how you do it, and wh what is the career and professional development angle of what you do? Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, very happy to be here. Thank you both for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation with both of you. Um, so my role essentially would be the chief career officer of the university. So at Villanova, there is uh, a central career center team uh, who primarily provides the services to all students and alumni of the university in terms of what they're doing now while they're in school that might prepare them for the next step and what they might be considering doing after. 
And that is all of our students, our undergraduate students, our graduate students, our certificate students, everyone. And then within our schools and colleges, uh, we have six at Villanova. There are career and professional development teams that are actually embedded in those colleges and funded by the colleges. And they bring career and professional development concepts into the curricular and co-curricular experience right there in that college. Um, so you could imagine what kind of professional development a nurse might need might vary slightly from the kinds of professional development a chemical engineer might need, though there are some things that are very common. So it's an embedded uh, model at Villanova and a what we would call a hybrid model. So we have a central office that provides services for everyone, and then we have uh, services that are by college and connected to specific communities that are decentralized but have a connection to my role as the associate vice provost. So we all work together to make this happen, and of course there are incredible people uh, beyond just those staff members who work. Those are our faculty. Those are our alumni. Those are our parents. Those are other staff members at the university who support students. So it's really a full ecosystem of people who are turned on to support students and alumni in their career and professional development. So what's maybe a little unique about Villanova is not only having that service that, that is provided to everybody, but also some things that are required in curriculum for students to learn about Current professional development concepts, things are going to help them get to where they want to be next in life. Um, and that's how it works for us. Fantastic. Talk, talk about you hit two key words for me that I just my brain started firing in centralized and decentralized, right? So yeah. whenever you work in higher education, there's usually you'll you'll see different models. Everybody, there's a lot of ways to do things. You can have central offices like you're talking about, where everything is just centralized to one place. You can have a decentralized model where it's kind of everybody for themselves in different areas. You have this hybrid, almost a centralized infrastructure with a decentralized units within each college. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the things you work on, the areas of improvement to having that kind of a model and how it works? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there's a, a logic to the model. Um, <clears throat> and the, the, the one of the primary uh, points of that that logic is in the experience of an employer who wants to recruit at the university. So what we don't want for that external audience is to have to contact multiple people across the university to ultimately possibly recruit uh, multiple students. Uh, that's the goal. So the idea is that employer engagement and employer relations are primarily driven by the career center, though not exclusively. So that if a company approaches us and says, we want to hire engineers and finance people and communication and PR people, we can say, well, we need to bring you to these places across the university because the students who might be interested in those things usually wind up in these places, right? And you don't have to get in touch with all these individual people. We'll sort of help guide you to that lens, to that place. And then also from a student advising perspective, there are things that are common to everybody, right? Every student needs to know how to write a resume, how to do an interview, whether you're going on to medical school or you're going on to an internship or you're going on to a Fulbright, you need to know how to do that. So that's a central sort of resource that is provided that we then disseminate out and other people provide guidance on. But there's things that are common to every student and there are things that are common to every employer. And that's what that central office really primarily takes the lead in doing. And then in the colleges, it's again, dropping things down the context in which that student exists. So making it even more custom and specific to them. So um, it, it works. The system works. I mean, our, our numbers bear it out uh, every year in terms of outcomes, the way that students feel supported um, in our data and in the way they tell us about how they feel supported, it works. Um, <clears throat> it is not simple. Um, it's, it sounds simple, right? It sounds like an, a, a good design, 
um, but it requires a lot of communication and a lot of staying connected um, and a lot of nuanced understanding of how to guide an external group like an employer through an institution where they're not used to the way a university runs um, or how to guide a student to the right resources when there are a couple different options, you know, where they could start. Um, but there are maybe multiple people who could help them. So it requires helping people navigate a structure, right? Either the external audience or the student navigating that structure. And that's where a lot of communication is necessary to make sure that really works the way that it should. How many people are we talking about? Like throughout your units? Yeah, um, in the mid thirties. Okay. In total. Well, you know Kevin, what, uh, Bob, I'm sorry. Are you going to help me now or not? Yes. I was going to just jump in. And as I mentioned to you, Kevin, before uh, we got on the air, uh, I have a relationship with Villanova uh, indirectly through my kids. But I just want to bring out, especially for our audiences, and just want to hear you comment on this. You know, Villanova is, is, is somewhat rare, I think, from an educational standpoint of view. Uh, and I, fortunately, between myself and my kids, have had the experience with a number of different institutions. But I believe that Villanova in particular puts a lot of emphasis on undergraduate education, really supporting their undergrads. And I, I, that was the experience that we had in particular when Maya's son attended Villanova. Can you comment on that just a little bit? Because not all schools really put as much emphasis, I believe, as Villanova does on you know, really kind of supporting their undergrads. Many schools are more graduate oriented, but you know, I happen to know that I know this is somewhat of a leading question. And then, you know, weave that into attorney, the role of career experience in the student development. Say that second part one more time. Yeah, the role, talk just a little bit about the role of career experiences in a student's development. Mm, yeah, okay. So question question one, comment one is really about um, Villanova's focus on the undergraduate student experience and um, what that feels like, why that's so important to us. I mean, you're right. It is very important to us at Villanova. Um, we are a primarily residential uh, community for undergraduate students. So the majority of them live on campus. That's by design. Um, <clears throat> there are lots of experiences for students to get involved on our campus and to be involved in the greater Philadelphia community um, around us. That's very much by design. Um, Villanova, a, a word that you hear a lot in uh, the, the, the ethos that sort of everywhere is this word of community um, and community being very important to Villanova and building a sense of community. Now that includes when we don't get it right, you know, learning about that and saying, what can we be doing better to make sure everybody feels that sense of community at Villanova? Uh, so it is essential to us and is incredibly important. Um, <clears throat> we are a research institution um, and we really follow a teacher scholar model. So our faculty, we're looking for people who are very interested in that teacher scholar approach, um, that they're, they're doing incredible research and they're being really great teachers, you know, and faculty in our classrooms. So a lot of the way that Villanova is structured, even on the sort of like undercurrent that you might not see, you know, is intended to be that we would create this really holistic, robust experience for students um, to develop as whole people. And that's, you know, all the way rooted in the university's Augustinian Catholic mission and our values and who we are. So in sort of the founding documents of Villanova, you can see that being embedded. Um, and we have people who 
on campus who, who lead that way and who encourage everyone to sort of carry that through their actions every day. So it creates a really strong student experience for people who are part of it. Um, so I hope that answers your question about the undergrad part. And then you said career experiences and their influence and impact on student development. And you can feel free to jump in and say, that was not it, Kevin, and I will pivot. Good memory. Uh -huh. But that was it. That Perfect. Was it. I forgot it, but you remembered. <laughs> I'm on it today. I've had enough coffee, uh, but not too much. <laughs> so um, I think it's huge um, uh, to start off. Um, we know, statistically speaking, that one of, if not the most important reason that students go to college is to get a better job. Right. We've seen that in data play out year over year, especially that has risen since the Great Recession in 0809, that reason being number one. So it's incredibly important um, to students who are entering college. Um, it's it's critical in terms of them understanding how the world, you know, is shaping up in terms of what they're learning in the classroom environment or what they're learning in their residence hall environment or what they're learning in their service learning environment. All of these things, you know, they're they're understanding then how they connect. Uh, and how they have impact in the world around them. Um, <clears throat> so anything that's doing career learning is helping them connect to something um, that, that they're already doing in their educational experience and making it even more significant, right? Just amplifying it, turning up the volume by a lot. Um, one of the things that I think about a lot with this is um, in terms of well-being, um, purpose, having a sense of purpose is a huge, huge part of anyone's well-being that you're getting up every day and you're doing something that means something to you. And we don't have to make it all the way as just crude as career, but your career certainly is a place where you could express your purpose. And so for our students to have career experiences and to think about and execute on that purpose, right? To be playing with and more deeply understanding their purpose through career experiences is so huge. So from a well-being perspective, this is something we can't miss. Um, it has to be something that is on everyone's mind and is a part of the experience for everyone, because um, it is just so significant. It's, it's such a fundamental core of making sure people feel like they're going in a direction, their life is going in a direction that is going to be good for them. Kevin, you're the first person I think ever on this podcast, and I'm, I'm shuffling through my brain of 570 um, episodes who tied the job pathway experience, as it were, to well-being. Like those have been very separate concepts, like your mental well-being, your, you know, you're thinking about, you know, meditation and that you're okay and that you have anxiety. But boy, if I don't see myself progressing towards a job, that surely affects everything that I'm thinking about. But that's the first time anybody's connected it so directly. Um, is, th is that with intention for you now? Is that the way you guys are operating? Like, hey, we need to make sure we're pounding this home for students. It is absolutely an important thing um, that we are making sure is clear, that that connection is clear uh, for students. And that includes us having a very clear and obvious connection with our Office of Health Promotion, um, who does a lot of well-being work and making sure that we're not saying very separate messages from them, that students see us deliberately partnered with them um, on initiatives and work that we do. One thing that we started with them that I love um, is this series that we call the Resilience Resume Project. Ah. And it is um, a series of stories. We started out with significant university leaders, and we're moving now through more of the community and even current students 
And what they're doing is they're telling us stories of times when they may have failed academically in their career and what that felt like to sort of get back up, right, and try again. Um, because this can be such a feeling of consequentialness, for lack of a better word, to people when you don't do the thing you want to do, when it doesn't work, right? How do you get back up? And, and oftentimes in a resume, we only talk about the things we nailed, you know, and we did great. So it can seem like everyone's doing all these things perfectly and I'm not doing anything well, right? You can, we can fall into that trap of comparing and comparison is the thief of joy. So if we start showing people, hey, even the people you see here who are the top of the game, right? Even they have failed, right? And look at how they get back up and how they do well in their life. You can still fail and do well. You can still fail and succeed. And actually failure is part of success, right? That's part of it. So yes, there's very much an integration and connection for us between career and well-being because your, again, your sense of purpose, right, that you're getting up and doing something every day that means something to you at its core is so critical to feeling like I'm on this planet for a reason, right? And, I, and I'm executing on that reason the way I want to. Um, and if I don't feel that every day, it's hard to stay motivated, right? Nice. So it's critical for us to make that connection. Kevin, how much is that generation oriented? You know, prior generations, I don't think put as much emphasis on that aspect of their well-being tying into their career direction. Uh, now, I think that more people are coming out. This present generation really does want to do more than just make money. Mm. They want to make a contribution to our society and the well-being of the world. Talk about that just for a second. Do you agree, disagree, or, you know, how? You know, I do agree. I think it is certainly there's a generational difference here in the expression and uh, of well-being and in the um, advocacy for well-being. I would say that I think it's a mischaracterization, mischaracterization to say generations before did not care about well-being. They did. They just might not have had the tools, the language, the understanding that we all do now about well-being in a way that's significantly different, right, than what was before. Also more accepted, right? Like kind of was like yes. oh you're having a problem with well-being really like get over it you right know? come on right if i we're, said we're... that to my dad he would have probably just you know forget about it he would just say get out of the house go find something to do <laughs> right so so that doesn't mean that there weren't problems with well-being or people didn't care about it before we just have a different approach to it now so i would say it's a mischaracterization to say other generations didn't care about it i think they did and do um, and I, I mean, think about um, the ways that people are really pushing for flexibility, hybrid work, remote work options. Those, those are multi-generational conversations. That's not just the generation that's in college and graduating now. That's, that's people who have caretaking responsibilities, who are parents, who caretake for their families. Those are people of different generations. So this conversation is definitely everywhere and everyone. Um, but certainly the language and the Advocacy for well-being is different. I mean, if you think about the ways this generation has grown up, what they've seen, even in the last couple of years, um, incredible uh, displays of systemic racism, incredible displays of the environment falling apart, our climate falling apart, um, incredible urgency, um, and a lot of things that impact their lives very directly and can throw off your sense of purpose, your sense of wellness. So um, it's clear, you know, that this is something that in their span of life, 
right now, you know, if we're talking about an undergraduate population of people who are 18 to 22 right now, we certainly have a lot of other learners in, in education, so th but they're also being impacted by this as well. It's a different time and a different conversation on well-being. Yeah. You know that the world of higher education is experiencing evolutions and revolutions. You want to be part of the progress. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education with insights from more than 100 college and university presidents will show you how. Get your copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education now on Amazon right away. We think you're going to love it. It's amazing. Joe, if I could just ask a, a follow-up, you know, question to that, Kevin, and I, because this is really intriguing. Um, you know, I happen to know again your 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 general demographic. It is a student who really has been primed almost from cradle to be a success, to be a leader. Many of this is very difficult to get into Villanova University, and so the people who do enter the school have been focusing on their education, perhaps to some extent to the detriment of actually getting real world experiences. And, you know, it's sometimes then they have some difficulty making that, closing that gap between their educational pursuits, the academic experiences that they've had, the academic successes, and now transitioning to real world experiences, utilizing those academic skills to be successful out in the work world. Talk about that for a second. How do you folks prime people, you know, for that transition, if at all? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say we definitely do have students who are, who've been very motivated academically, uh, to your point. I would say we also have students who've been incredibly uh, involved in their communities, um, incredibly uh, career-minded, I can think of it was a couple of years ago as an example. I had a, a student. It was the first day of the academic year, and it was our in the the career center. It was our first day of having drop in sessions, so any student could come into the office, undergraduate, graduate, anyone, and just talk to one of us. And I happened to be the person on the shift that day, and the very first person who walked in for the very first drop in on the very first day of the year was a first year student, an engineer, who said. You know, I just this summer finished an internship with an engineering firm who wants to offer me to come back for next summer for an internship again. What should I do? This was a first year student. It was this student's first day of class. So they've already had some work experience coming into uh, university. Certainly that's not every student, but it's a lot of them. Um, and we also have students who have not had the resources or means um, to do something like that because They've done incredibly well academically, but they've had family circumstances that keep them from being able to work, from being able to do those things. So anyway, it's a it's a spectrum um, of people. The, the thing that's that we spend a lot of time helping them see is any of those experiences could be valuable in the workplace, right? So if you were really, really skilled academically, if you worked in group projects, if you wrote papers, you learned great communication skills writing written communication, which is huge to employers. They wanna know you can write well. You've learned about how to interact with people who are different than you. They absolutely need people who know how to value a diverse workplace and be inclusive and get the best of the best of ideas from a lot of different people because their clients in the world are different people. Um, so to help them actually translate these experiences that they've had 
in the classroom, connected to the classroom, a little outside of the classroom to competencies and skills that are valuable in the workplace and to realize those are the exact same. Those competencies and skills you used in all those situations are the exact same competencies and skills that apply in the workplace. What we need to help you do is talk about those well, translate those well, and think about how they now fit in this context of a work environment, right? That's the difference. But that you can or cannot do those things is not a question. So how do we help build your confidence to realize you know those things? We're going to help you figure out how they fit, you know, in another place that you might, you might not have been before or thought much about before. Well done. Um, Bob's done, so let me just transition back to me. Listen to my important question. <laughs> I got to get that, Brian. Um, go back in time. I'm going to do a little bit of a, per a personal experience here. When I used to work in for, uh, in for-profit sector, the career college sector, and this is in 2003 through 2000, probably 10, when you started at Villanova, right around there. One of the selling points for a career college was, hey, you can go to a university, any university. It could be a community college. It could be a private. It could be anywhere. And they're going to tap you on the back and say, good luck. And you're going to go out with your piece of paper. And if you come to this career college, we're going to provide career services for you. We're going to connect you to your next job. And that, that was how we sold against schools in that sector. Fast forward, even to your time starting in 2010 till now, there's been a great evolution of the student consumer who, who, I mean, I'm assuming when all of us went to college, it was that it was like, Hey, I don't know that I'm going to get a job after college. I hope my degree will prep me for the interviews I might get at the end, but there was no service. I got a handshake and a degree and it was out into the workforce and do it myself. There's an expectation now, or maybe the question for you is what is the expectation of the students now? And how has the investment in career services evolved over the last 12 years that you've been at Villanova? I would certainly say the expectations have changed, um, that there will be um, something that comes next, something that aligns with who I want to be, what I want to become. Um, and again, that expectation I just mentioned before in the data that um, prim a primary reason, if not the number one reason students choose to go to college today is, is to get a better job. So, you know, that plays out in the expectations that people have. Um, certainly that for undergraduate students, um, who's, if their parents are helping pay for tuition, that parents have. If they're an adult student who's either their employer is paying for their tuition or they are helping pay for their own tuition, they have an expectation, right, that this is going to elevate me in some other kind of way professionally. So there's a lot of expectation there on that to, to happen. What exactly that means, you know, is, is a little bit different for every person. So that's the tricky part. You know, we can't say everyone's going to do X and the marker of success is X. That's not how it works because each person's definition of success is different and we need to play to that. No. So while we need to provide a layer of support and a structure of support, and again, I talked about previously, everyone needs a resume. Everyone needs to know how to interview. Those are core skills going into no matter what you do, right? You're going to need that to, to, to be successful, to get somewhere. But then beyond that, it's really a, a process of discernment. Who are you and what do you want? And let's not put our values on you. Let's have you look at the world through your values and then decide what kinds of environments you want to be in, what kinds of money you might be making, what kinds of money you feel you need to make, what kind of 
um, workplace is the right fit for you, what kind of geographic location is the right fit for you, right? Those are things that we need to help people answer, not we answer for them. So um, yes, the expectations have much changed, and that is why Villanova and other schools have responded to say, okay, well, we can't let this be missed. So we're going to do a variety of things, right? One is we're going to build career education, professional development into the curriculum. It's going to be required. So before students graduate, they do X, Y, Z things. We're going to significantly um, resource a central office, a career center, a whatever. Um, we're going to give a lot more visibility to what that office does, what those teams do. We're going to promote um, internship opportunities in a whole different way because that's become way more critical than it ever has been before. If you if you don't have an internship, it is a disadvantage now. Whereas years ago, it was sort of a nice thing to have. That's completely changed. Um, we're going to resource these things with finances a lot differently. So we can help students who can't afford to do an unpaid internship to do one. We'll give them a grant so they can go do an unpaid internship. Those are all sorts of strategies schools have taken to shift this to respond to that desire on behalf of people. But I do want to make say one thing before I close my answer to this. And that is, um, I think this conversation about career and vocationalization, you know, of, of the university is a valid debate for us to have. I think what I want to avoid is that people often do the either or. It's either for an engaged citizenship and the life of the mind and learning for learning's sake, or it's to get people a job. And I think if we get caught in debating that it has to be one or the other, we wind up missing who our people are today and what's happening out there today. So it's really a both end. It's we're going to do both of those things. We need to engage people in difficult subjects. We need to teach people to love how to learn because spoiler alert, that's how you're going to survive and keep being excellent at your job is having that love of learning. And we're also going to help get them ready for whatever that next step is on the immediate front because they need that, right? They, they do need that and they want that. And we should make sure that that happens. I like your style, dude. Good job. Good job. Kevin, tell us, let's shift for a second after that excellent uh, answer. Let's shift to the employer side of the equation just for a moment because I'd like just for our listeners' benefit, to hear what type of skill sets and characteristics are the employers seeking from your students uh, and you know the, the career um, seekers that are out there and the, trying to get into this new workforce? Yeah, um, I think a couple of things are really paramount there. Um, and a few places have done some really good research on this. So the World Economic Forum has some good data on, you know, competencies of a 21st century employee. NACE, the National Association of Colleges and Employers, has a really good set of career readiness competencies that were developed by college and employer members. So there's some really good stuff out there um, <clears throat> that would help define what makes a successful, um, you know, college to career transition. But I'll, I'll name a few um, that I think are really important to double down on. One is critical thinking. Um, we are in a, it's no surprise, we're in a rapidly changing world. Um, I could think about just in the last maybe month or two, the ways that conversations about generative AI are changing so many things uh, and will. 
So it's really important um, that people understand how to critically think and evaluate um, what's going on and what might need to happen next. And akin to that is going to be a level of creativity, um, being creative with solving problems in new ways, not being afraid to try new things um, because it is it is a rapidly evolving world. Um, and at the same time, there's this sense of, of needing collaboration. Um, so we're not going to solve the world's problems ourselves in our small verticals. We're going to solve our problems together. These will require a lot of us and a lot of different kinds of skills and different kinds of thinking. Um, sometimes I hear employers say things like, you know, we love a statistics and philosophy double major, right? Because like they're doing, that's like such different fields that they're bringing together this incredible sense of expertise from both, right? So that kind of interestingly minded person, right, is very appealing to them. Um, broadly speaking, um, those things are critical. Got to follow up there, Bob, or else I'm going to close him out because he's, boy, he has given us some good insights. Very great. Very good insights, Kevin. I really appreciate this. Uh, I think it's given a lot of uh, insights into, you know, all of our listeners, whether it be from the student side, the academic side, and the, the, the employer side. Uh, we've taken up a tack at our institution where we're now trying to partner with some uh, various corporations and businesses and, you know, trying to provide a united front where our students, you know, are getting the support of an employment opportunity, tuition assistance, um, and obviously the employer is having the opportunity to get a preview of a particular student and how they might be able to uh, benefit them in their workforces. Uh, are you doing any of those types of partnerships as well? Absolutely. Um, in a lot of our uh, academic programs, there are case studies, there is project-based work, there's opportunities for companies to come in and sort of test drive things or give us their real problem and our students work on the solution. And they can see, you know, what are the students like, which might lead to hires and offers um, down the line. It's very important and I think it's only gonna rise in importance, this idea of sort of a market ready curriculum, um, partnering up with organizations to create this. Um, I mean, we can see in the marketplace, a lot of things changing. There's the, they, they're not new, but the Google's career certificates, you know, are an example of like, that's a market-based curriculum. Literally, Google made it themselves. Yes. Um, we have uh, the rise of skills-based hiring um, among a lot of employers and the decline of degrees being a, the qualification. You know, I think of here in Pennsylvania, our governor signed an order that most of the jobs to work in Pennsylvania state government will not require a degree. Um, it happened in Maryland also in other states. So I think there's a lot shifting here and um, employers are going to want to be able to weigh in on what's being taught, what's being learned, what are the skills, um, and for everybody to test it out. The students get to test it out, the employers get to test it out. So I think that's a wise approach um, that we will need to adopt more in more nuanced ways. Kevin, you think... Uh... This is, I, I, we asked the same final two questions of every guest, but before I ask you that, I want to ask you if you think, you talked about the skills versus degree, it's not an either or, it's an and. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that universities have done a good enough job marketing the and? Like, you know, because it's really easy to de deconstruct the value of a degree, right? Because the cost of education has, has been high. Even when it says the quality of your life will be improved through your bachelor's degree by 
tenfold or whatever it is, somebody comes in and says, yes, but the debt's too high. Yes, but so it deconstructs that argument really easily, sometimes not in a nonsensical way that makes you go, well, there's nothing else I can say. The data is there, but but the argument's still there. The noise is still there. Do you think that we as universities have a responsibility to market that benefit better? Because it feels like that value, even though it's still there for many people, it's almost not fashionable in a way. And it's a marketing problem as much as anything else. Mm -hmm. Look, I think this is a really tough conversation because what we're trying to really measure is like ultimately the human experience. And when we boil it down to the debt versus the salary, we're missing a lot in terms of life satisfaction, in terms of enriched mind, in terms of deeper conversations, in terms of um, societal benefit, um, right? Um, education is is way more um, than just getting a salary. So it's easy to measure dollars, right? Debt to income, how long do you pay off the debt? What's the debt payment? What's the salary, blah, blah, blah. That is actually easy to measure um, compared to like, did this impact my life more broadly? Did, did this impact my life satisfaction more broadly? Did I get to do things that I really wanted to do, right? Did it, that it, this enabled me to do and not just in my career, in a lot of things. So I think it's really hard to turn that into marketing um, because it's so nuanced. Um, and I think that universities are trying to understand that right now trying to speak to the audience, right? With what's important to them and what makes sense to them right now. And I do I do think there's a dollars and cents component that is significant. I don't wanna sound like I'm letting that go. Um, but I think it's really complicated because there's a whole other set of kinds of information that you wanna be able to talk about um, when you talk about the benefit of the college experience. So breaking it down to some of these like more crude measures doesn't exactly hit it all. And that's the part where I think we're wrestling with how to do the both end really well and show people the big value, the big value. Well said. Yeah, it doesn't hit at all, but it's easy for people to understand, which makes it a really hard argument to work through, right? It makes it tempting to use. Yeah, exactly. And it brings me to my next uh, set of questions. Well, number one, what didn't we say about Villanova? What didn't we say about the career center? Anything that you want to say about your work, your team's work, anything going on that might be new, upcoming, really anything. You can say anything you want. Hmm. And then number two, what do you see as the future of higher education? Ooh, number two is a chew on it kind of question. Uh, number one, I would say um, one of the things that I'm probably most excited about um, in the work that we're doing at Villanova, especially through the Career Center, is that we're taking everything um, through an equity-minded approach. Um, and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that, that we just did uh, in, in December, and I hope we'll continue to do more of in partnership. So um, an example of this, this equity-minded approach is uh, as, a, as a career coach, as someone who's advising students, and particularly will center students with disabilities in this one, I could teach them, we can teach them, how to navigate an environment that might not be really set up for them, right? We can teach them about, here's how you're going to experience ableism in your interviews, Here's how you're going to talk about accommodations in the workplace. Here's how you're going to X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, right? And that's necessary to some degree. But what we could also do is use our position of influence and try to take down those barriers and talk with more employers and more people about, hey, you're not getting the best talent because there are people out there with disabilities who are waiting to 
absolutely kill it at your organization. And they're held back because your process isn't actually working to include them. It isn't working to make them feel like they could apply, be involved, or be successful through the process. So we partnered with EY um, and a few other organizations that they helped us line up in December, and we hosted a disability inclusion in the workplace conference. Amazing. Brought in a keynote um, who founded the Valuable 500. It's a, a network of 500 CEOs of multinational companies who have signed on to a pledge to make disability inclusion a board level agenda. These are huge companies, multinational organizations. So she came in and spoke and we had our students and employers and other guests come and talk about what it's like uh, for people with disabilities to be in the workplace, how they navigate places, how to have these, we had over 100 employers in the audience come learn about how to make their spaces more inclusive for people with disabilities so they could walk away and do something um, to change their organizations. So when we empower people like that and we open up things like that, we do a lot, lot, lot better for a lot more people. And so I'm really excited to take those kinds of frameworks and apply it because we can provide opportunity for way more people um, when we look at the world through that kind of lens. So that's one thing. That's one thing I'd mention um, that I'm excited about and want to do even more of over time. Um, what is the future of higher education? Wow. Um, it's, a, it's a big question to answer. Um, I would say I'm nervous about it in a way that I haven't been nervous about it. Um, because I think there's a lot of factors that are squeezing higher education right now. And you can see um, schools needing to close, schools with budget troubles. Um, everyone's been talking about this enrollment cliff for a long period of time. Um, I think we have to innovate and change. We have to be much more embracing of uh, learners who are at different places in their lives coming back to learn. We have to be much more thoughtful about partnership with industry to support lifelong learning. And we have to be much more thoughtful about partnering with community organizations um, for lifelong learning and retraining and developing things. So that to me is going to be a critical part of ensuring that higher education can carry out what I believe its mission is um, and what I think it can do for our society. Wow, look at this wow. guy. He well spoken. Don't you think, Bob? He just crushed Great it. Great job. Great job, Kevin. Thank uh, you. I'm a big fan of not only your comments, but also your institution. Uh it's it, it's you know again ironic. I didn't think that my son, you know, an LA guy, would want to go to the East Coast and actually thrive, but he did, and uh, he got a wonderful education there at Villanova. And I learned, got a chance to learn a lot about that region of the world, uh, separate and apart from the fact that Kobe Bryant uh, went to high school back there, uh, not very far from Villanova University. Bob figured out how to wear a winter coat. It's it's been a learning experience for him. <laughs> I'm from LA. What's a winter coat? Yeah, exactly. I'm so sorry, Bob. Uh, that's funny. Well, somebody that uh, teaches me something every time he's on the mic is my guest host, guest co-host today. He's Bob Brown. He's president and CEO of the University of West Los Angeles. Bob, thanks for coming back and thank you, I'm Joe. Thanks, Kevin. Again. Great job. Thank I think you. I'm in your good graces again now. You are I'm... always, always my All friend. Right. I get a kick out of this. That's awesome. And our guest today, he's Kevin Grubb. He's the Associate Vice Provost for Career and Professional Development at Nova. You know it, Villanova University. Kevin, how was your experience today on EdUp? Awesome. Just a, a casual, good conversation with people who care about making higher education the best they can be. So I appreciated it. 
With that, ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. It's time to level up. The beginning of a new era in higher education begins with you. Order your copy of Commencement. The beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert, Dr. Joseph Lucio, with contributions by Elvin Freitas. It's higher education's must-read book of 2022. Discover how you can seize the moment to change higher education forever. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education, now available on Amazon. For bulk orders, contact Kate, Joe, or Elvin. 